Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hi, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is August 20th, 2023. We got a great show for everybody tonight. One of my all-time favorite guests to talk to, Steve Gaines from Anger Resort, is calling in along with Eric Bryan of the band. Eric is now taking on a lot of the lead vocal duties, so we're going to talk to them all about that. And right after, well, actually, first tonight is Alton Eddins from Max Warrior. Steve will be calling in the second half of the show. Right now, they're battening down the hatches because Hurricane Hillary is about to... <laughs> Break land on the West Coast, so if Steve and Eric could be calling in tonight, then everybody else could listen in, so that's that. All right, right there, Twisted Sister, you can't stop rock and roll. That comes off, to, in my opinion, the last good Twisted Sister record. Stay Hungry, that came in a few years later. It was the album that actually broke the band big, and they became superstars after that, but I don't know. A couple of good songs on there, but most of it was just pop metal, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, it gave Twisted Sister that break that they longed for for decades at that point in time in their career, and it's funny because, you know, as a kid in the 80s, you know, I loved the underground scene so much. I rooted for all these bands, and I loved them, and I would get the demo tapes and, and bootlegs from trading and, and buy the records as soon as they came out, and most of them were imports back in the day, and they were pretty expensive for like a 13-year-old kid delivering newspapers you know, after school, uh, but I would buy them and support these bands, you know, looking for any fanzines I could or any magazines that would have them in there, and the second night they had a little bit of success and they made it, I turned my back on them. I think a lot of people did that back in the day. They felt like if you made it, you know, you weren't that underground band anymore, you know, but hey, listen, that's what they got into the business for. Whoever says they get into the music Music business just to make music and not make a success out of it. I think they're kind of lying to you. You know, <laughs> that's just my opinion. All right, Dee Snyder's always got his mouth open and talking about something. We had Dee on the show, I think, about four years ago on our uh, 11th anniversary show. And he's a fun guy to talk to, and I love talking to Dee. Uh, he, he talks a lot of shit. You know, you got <laughs> half of it is an act that he does, just like the stuff controversy and trouble. The other half is just really the way he feels about things. You know, he came out and he supported the gay community. He was going to be like the Grand Marshal at that parade. Then he backed up what Paul, <laughs> Paul Stanley said about transgender people, and they, they kicked him out of the parade. But D didn't really go after them. You know, he has such a big mouth, but he didn't have a big mouth. He didn't want to take on the gay community, I guess. So he kind of let that one slide a little bit. But he's always ranting and raving about something. You know, I think last week it was about bands saying that they're going to retire, but then they don't retire. And he is right about that. I mean, listen, when Motley Crue says this is our last tour, we're packing it in, we're retiring, you know, we signed the contract and blood and we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, by the way, tickets that usually cost $50 for a decent seat are now going to cost $500. So it's our final tour. It's the last time you're going to see us. And people go out and spend the $500, two or three years go by, and it's like, all right, well, we're coming back. Everybody wants to see us again. That's, that's bullshit. Ozzy had two retirements tours. Uh, I went to go see the Scorpions on the final <laughs> retirement tour or the last retirement tour uh, and then they said, well, you know what? People really love what we're doing. We're going to keep doing it. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of a crappy thing to do to the fans in my opinion. When you're ready to pack it in, pack it in. If you don't, let me, you know, everybody said, let me should retire. He was getting sick towards the end, had a lot of medical problems. He just kept going and going until he just couldn't do it no more. And when he couldn't do it no more, it's because he died. You know, so either play till you die or just retire when it's your time to retire and don't come back. You know, Ted Nugent making this big thing out about I'm retiring, no more tours, no more tours. And it's like, well, I'll do one of shows here and there. No, no. If you're not going to play no more, don't play no more. Don't announce anything. Don't announce that it's my final tour. You know, just because it's not like he tours all the time anyway. Just go out and do your one of shows here and there and just play it that way. You don't need to announce a retirement tour to generate that little bit of extra cash. It's just a slap in the face to the fans that have supported the bands for decades. 
that's just how I feel about that. All right, let's get the music going here. We're going to talk to Elton. Elton is actually playing right now. He's got a, he's got two live shows, I think, this afternoon where he lives. Uh, so uh, we're going to get him about 6.30, give him a chance to, you know, pack his equipment up and, and get settled in, and we'll talk to him right after that. But how about we do some Grim Reaper? It was a year ago, I think four or five days back, that Steve Grim had passed away. I was blessed enough to have Steve on the show quite a few times. Always a gentleman and a fun guy to talk to. I do miss him. But let's do a little Grim Reaper in his memory. Here's Fear No Evil. You know it's coming for you 
right, Christian said, Mike, play Silent Listener. So there you go. War Veterans of the Fight. Christian's becoming like my Westchester connection. He sends me all these bands from Westchester. Uh, and they had a great scene from back in the day. Like, Westchester's like between New York City and upstate New York. It's like right in the middle. Not too far from any of us. And so many great bands came out of that area at that time in the surrounding area. And this was one of them. Uh, they just, it just never went anywhere. It featured Greg Livesay on guitar from the band Livesay in St. Lucina. Two other bands from that area. I don't I mean, it was a four, like I said, it was a four-track EP. I think they released it on their own label, Rival Records. Because nothing else ever came out on that label as far as I know. Uh, if you can find it anywhere, it's probably a rare collector's item. Uh, it was just a good record, good power metal record, but it kind of got lost in the shuffle of 1986. There was a lot going on that year. You know, the scene kind of exploded that time. Metallica, you know, went through the roof. Hair metal started to rise up and take over. It was just a tough year for new bands getting started to get the name out there. And the name didn't help either. Silent List is not exactly a great name that draws your attention or makes you think of a metal band, but it was really good at peace. So if you can find it anywhere, grab yourself a copy of it. Alright, I just spoke to Alton. He finished his show. He's packed up and heading home from the gig. We'll give him a little while to try to get settled in. We'll do one more song, and then we will jump into a song by Max Warrior. We'll talk to Alton. Uh, let me see here. You know, I'm going to do some Agent Steel. If there was ever, ever like a holy trinity of like crazy guests you want to interview, you know, John Cyrus is definitely at the top of that list. And so was Chris Logue, but we actually finally got him on the show this year. And it was worth the wait because he was definitely over the top with his interview. I would love to interview John Cyrus. I've reached out for 10 years now. I've had no luck, you know, uh, getting an interview set up with this guy. I thought when the last record came out, it might have happened. That didn't happen either. It probably won't happen with the next record. Uh, but he would definitely be the, the second one in that. Holy Trinity of Mental Cases interview. The third one, I don't know. I mean, I've interviewed some other off-the-wall artists. You know, I mean, Am- Lips from Anvil is definitely a crazy guy to talk to. He seems to get very worked up when I ask him certain questions, and he's just like flies off the handle. Uh, but there's got to be one more out there. Just let me know who the next crazy artist we should try to get on the show is an interview, and I'll work on that one. But right now, some Agent Steel, going back to the classic days, 144,000 gone. <laughs> Intensify my mixism blurs in through the night, 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 night. I go whispers of patience behind my human fusel. And all that read me were the leeches. Scratching for space, 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 space.
All right, let's get on some Max Warrior. I'll get Alton on the phone. We'll get that interview going. He has taken by force. <laughs>
man, Max Warrior, taken by forces. Let's get Alton on the line right now. Bear with me one second while we dial him up. Hello there. Alton, this is Mike. You're live on air. How are you, my friend? Not bad, sir. I tell you, being a rock star has got to be rough. You just did a show, and now you're on the air talking to me. Ha-ha! <laughs> it works out that way sometimes, that's for sure. Absolutely. I had to pull over in a Sh- Chevrolet dealership parking lot here <laughs> in Denver. Well, but I'm glad you did that. <laughs> the catch is it's Denver, North Carolina, not Denver, Colorado. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's, great. Hey, well, listen, it's I've just outside of Charlotte. It's I know where it is. Charlotte. Yeah. Nah, I'm familiar nah. with the area. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, well listen, you know, we, we spoke a little while ago, and I told you what a big fan I am and have been of Max Warrior. And, I mean, that EP has stood the test of time. 1985 till now, people still ask for it. They want to hear it. They want to know about it. And there's so little information out there about the band. Everything always goes to Carl, you know, in Firehouse, and now Perry with Stripe and, and formerly a Firehouse. But it, to me, it's all about Max Warrior. That's where it came from, all of you guys. Really? That, that's cool, man. That's good to know. It was, yeah, it seemed to have caught on back then, and it seemed to just kept going kind of like a little, I don't know, almost a little cult thing. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's been good to us, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, for people that don't know much about the band, then they should, but if they don't, let's kind of go back to the beginning. It's the early 80s, or like 81, 82 in that area, and, and the band kind of gets going, and most of the members really yeah. don't come from South Carolina. They're really from all up and down the East Coast. Yeah, that started out like, uh, I'm from North Carolina, the Asheville area, and um, CJ and Billy Dory were like Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, and they had um, always gone to Myrtle Beach, like on vacation with the family and all that. And uh, so when they graduated high school, they packed it up and they moved to the beach with hopes of starting a band. And they met Perry and Jeff Boatwright. And it just kind of got together from there. They jammed, got some songs together, started playing places, started playing the club circuits in the Carolinas and and then um, they came to Hickory, North Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, they were losing a guitar player. And I was working at the bar they were playing uh, and I had an apartment across the street. So they were setting up in the daytime and they said, wow, you know any guitar players that might be looking for a job? And I said, hey, me, I'm right here, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, luckily I had my rig across the street and came in and set it up the next day, played about 20 songs with them. And they said, well, we'll call you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll never hear from these guys again, you know. (laughs) And that following Monday, Perry called me and said, do you want a job with the band? I said, yeah. And he says, well, we'll be there to pick you up at midnight. (laughs) And... So I packed it up and threw the stuff. They picked me up, and uh, there it was, off to Myrtle Beach. And they were called Prophet before Max Warrior, and they changed their name because there was another band named Prophet that had their uh, copyrighted name. But before me, they were touring and going out like uh, out west, North Dakota even, and 
so it was kind of a fate thing the way we hooked up like that and uh, it worked out it was just perfect timing you know absolutely but that's well, now when the band changes its name from Prophet to Max Warrior, are, they, are you guys carrying over the songs that were being performed as Prophet, or did you just start from scratch and write everything brand new? Well, I wasn't in Prophet. I joined after they had changed yeah. the name, and the other guitar player left. Um, uh, no, basically just carried over. They just had to do the name change. I think they got a cease and desist, you know, from the other band, Prophet. I don't even know who that band was, but anyway. <laughs> but that's how it was back then. I mean, there were a million bands with the same name, but we had no internet, so nobody knew who they were. Or they, they could have lived right around the corner from me. You wouldn't even know there was a band with the same name back then. Yeah, that's true. There weren't so many versions of bands like that. <laughs> yeah, nobody you didn't knew. know who was who. That's right. Now today when I see bands repeating the names, like, all you gotta do is type it into the internet, you'll find out there's another band in a second, but back then it was a little harder, but, you know, Max Warry gets formed now, you're in Myrtle Beach, I mean, that doesn't exactly sound like the heavy metal capital of the USA, I mean, to relocate for a band. That's why we tried to coin that phrase, East Coast Metal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the- there wasn't a big metal scene going on in the Carolinas then, or even a heavy rock scene, and you know, it was really hitting hard in uh, Philly, Baltimore, New York, and all up in that, you know. But um, there wasn't much going on. And down in Florida, it really wasn't that big of a... There were a lot of bands, but nothing really heavy. But Yeah. Yeah, Myrtle Beach was definitely the um, the beach music capital of the world. So we were like a thorn in their side. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, a great place to meet girls. I mean, you know, you can't beat Myrtle Beach for that back in the day. <laughs> Probably not the best spot to, to launch a heavy metal band. But did the band ever think of relocating after you kind of got serious with the music to a place where you could have more of a scene, like New York or California? Yeah, we, we considered going out to L.A., but it just, uh, you know, there was a lot of competition out there. It would have been good. You know, things might have happened. You never know, but. Um, we just decided to chug it out over here on the East Coast, make some money. We, you know, we were doing half covers and half originals. And um, so we decided just to pay the bills, pay for the recording, and pay for rent. And basically food by going out and playing and kind of splitting the song list up like that. Now, when we would play shows with bigger acts, yes, we'd do all originals, you know. <coughs> but... Yeah, that's um, Myrtle Beach. <laughs> yeah, good place to good place to go swimming. Well, listen, now you know the band's together. You guys are writing as Max Warrior now. You're coming up with songs. You're you know you're working on some of your old prophet songs that they had before you were in the band. The EP finally comes out. I mean, was there a talk of doing a full length record or because it was a money issues? Because back then you know it cost a lot of money going to a studio. It's not like today where everybody has a home studio and they can record you know a million songs for like ten dollars. Back then, it was pretty an expensive proposition. So, was that why it was only an EP at the time, where we just try maybe test the water to see who was interested in the band? We had a lot more songs, and you're correct. It, it was the financial end. We had borrowed like ten thousand bucks from a guy in Greenville, North Carolina, named Dan Jones, and the the, the studio was pretty pricey. You know, old tape machines, twenty four Studer, and and. You know, I think it was $100 an hour back then, you know. We just didn't have the tools like you're saying the modern world yeah. does. 
See, it was a budget thing. Um, we would have liked to have gone more, and I think we planned. I think the idea was to do that and get picked up by a major, and then the rest we wouldn't have to worry about it from there, you know. Sure, that's always the hope and dreams of every band. You want to get signed by that major label. I remember when the record came out, it got a lot of good reviews. And, you know, musically, it was hard to pin the band to one genre. You weren't speed metal, you weren't thrash metal, you weren't power metal, you weren't hair metal. You really had a unique sound that kind of combined everything together. I mean, traditional heavy metal, you don't even hear that word anymore, but you had a combination of a lot of different styles going on within those songs. Yeah, well, that comes with a lot of diverse influence in the band, you know, and at that time also, there was a lot of poppy stuff going on, but then again, the resurgence of radio metal, like with the Quiet Riot, uh, Def Leppard, Pyromania days, and of course, Van Halen and all that, so, but there were so many influences in the band, so we tried to combine them both. Sometimes we just started writing and whatever it came out, you know, that's that's the way it ended up. <laughs> yeah, well, it worked on the music that we got to hear, but does that cause problems with the band when so many different members have different interests? I mean, is it difficult trying to get everybody on the same page or whether it's, whether it's just like, you know, hey, you know, we all kind of work together this way and we're used to it and it works in our favor in the end? Well, even though we had diverse influences and likes, it seems like we all have, there was a glue that we really liked metal and rock, you know, and just aggressive stuff. So we kind of went in that direction. In fact, I remember um, we used to have keyboards. CJ played keyboards like he does now with Firehouse on Love of a Lifetime and all that. And one night we just decided, I know when it was, um, Peace of Mind, Iron Maiden came out, and we were just listening to that going down the road. And we decided at that moment it was time to throw away the keyboards and just get a little bit harder, and that's where we went, <laughs> you know? And you did. But, you know, but all the other songs that didn't get released, was there ever an attempt to put out a, a second? Because it seems like, you know, I remember Metal Forces wrote a really good review. There was an, a small interview in there, and they talked about the band. They gave such a favorable review. I was like, wow, that's fantastic, because back then, Metal Forces and Kerrang! were about the only two magazines that, you know, metal bands could get into in the day. You know, you weren't getting in Circus Hit Parade, unless yeah. you were Ozzy or Judas Priest. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is so great that they got in here. This is really going to make the band explode. And then, man, like a year later, I heard that the band broke up. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, it happened like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were getting a lot of good reviews and um, a lot of stuff overseas. And as far as the songs, I would say there are probably heavier songs by the band that didn't get on that record or were written shortly after that. Um, we even took a little heavier turn when we hired Scott Atkins. Jeff Boatwright uh, bowed out. Uh, uh, he wanted to go home, be with the family. And we hired Scott, and we got a little heavier then. He introduced us to a lot of new, heavier stuff that we didn't even know about, you know. Yeah. And But there are some heavier songs on the list that never made it, you know. And maybe we have you know, talked about putting some stuff out. I talked to CJ and Perry a couple of months ago, and there's been talks about it. No promises, and it would be great for the fans and us, too. You know, um, it would be fun also. Oh, that would be fantastic. So hopefully I mean, we can do that. I mean, I've played these four songs to death. I'm dying for more. Oh, yeah? 
<laughs> we got to get more. But going back to like, you know, 85, 86, what, what caused the band to break up? I mean, it felt like it was like right after the record came out. Was it that quickly or a year later? Uh, six months or a year. Um, you know, um, as I said, we had diverse influences, diverse personalities. Nobody was, you know, wanting to beat each other up and all that kind of thing. Um, I think we did something, um, probably as younger people that we probably wouldn't do today. Yeah. And got in a little mild disagreement, you know, and just kind of one person said I'm out and the next person, well, I think I'm going to go too. And, and it really wasn't a good decision because the timing was right. I do seriously feel if, if we hadn't have done that, that we would have been picked up. Absolutely. Everything would have been fine. But you like to say, when you're younger, you do dumb things. And I think I was the first one to give my notice. And then it was Scott and then CJ. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, wait a minute, there's not going to be a band. <clears throat> and the management company was like, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? You know, you're, but anyway, it happened, and but you know the good thing is we're all still great friends. Yeah, you know, so it was not even though we did something we might regret a little back then. We're all great friends now. Talk and go hang out, you know, and whenever we can. I just talked to Boatwright last week, and um, we keep in touch. So it's no bad blood there, and that's a good thing, you know. Absolutely. It's like you said, you, you know, you guys were young, you know, you get hot-headed over an issue and you say, I'm leaving, that's it, it's done. Because, you know, I guess if you if you did stick it out, I definitely think you would have been picked up by a major label. A year or so later, 86, 87, the whole metal scene exploded. I mean, hair metal got big, the power metal bands got big, everything just took off. And I definitely think Max Worry would have been in that group of, you know, young bands that would have put out the first debut record full length on a major label, and, I, and it would have exploded. But you can't go back in time, but it's great that you guys are still talking, and I know you had a reunion show maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, I mean, yeah. that was... I, I wish I could have been there to see that. That I've seen the videos, which look fantastic, but how did that all come about? Because at that point in time, you know, you got CJ in Firehouse. Perry's now with Stripe in the last five or six years, but he was in Firehouse too back then also. Well, at that time, Perry was actually getting ready to take a gig with the country guy, Trace Adkins. So he had a lot on his plate when we did that reunion. And it, logistically, it took a lot to get together with CJ touring and Perry getting ready to do that gig. And Perry had just finished up a run, well, more than a run, like years with country artist Craig Morgan. Perry had moved to Nashville. So we've been getting a lot of, you know, request to come on do a show get back together all the eastern carolina people the south carolina people and we just decided to do it um marty burns an old time supporter got together helped uh, do the logistics got a venue got a practice area we arranged you know schedules went in had a show on saturday and got there on thursday rehearsed two days we had all done our homework at home uh, and believe it or not, it did. I did have to go back and relearn some of my parts. <laughs> and forget. I think everybody did too. But the rehearsals were great, laughing, cutting up, going out to eat, and and it was a magical time. You know that reunion 
all the old fans were there. Uh, we brought in Chris Green, who was with Furion and uh, did CJ's uh, latest project, Rubicon Cross. He played with us, too. But it was a great night, good times, a night to remember forever. And maybe we can do it again. If we put out a record, we might have to do a lot of dates. Who knows? But you can't do a lot, really, honestly, with Perry and CJ with their schedules. It's just it's kind of tough, you know? Yeah, and, I, I know. You know, all of, all of us are working, but we talked about it, and it might happen. I'd that like to write fantastic. a couple of new songs, you know? I would like to hear the old songs that never got released. Yeah, uh, Coming For You was a good one, Fight For The Power. You might see those on the videos on YouTube and Feel The Fire and a couple more uh, and maybe add a few more. It would definitely be good to hear a modern sound with Max Warrior because, to be honest, we weren't happy with the sound of that EP. Well, like you said, budget constraints, you know, the money, you know, it's hard to put, it was hard to put a record out back then, you know, coming up with the money to do it, especially, it's all the money in the recording, they didn't have any money for the mixing and the engineering. Well, we had a, we had a producer that the management company got us, and he was really not a rock guy, and uh, halfway through the session, right before the mix down, we let him go, and we went back in and tried our best to salvage it and mix it ourselves, but... Some of the, the sounds and the tones were already inherent, you know. Um, Johnny Falzone, the engineer, rest his soul, he did the best he could with us, and we got it out. But if we could do that thing over again and remix it, it would sound way better than it did in 1985. <laughs> but, you know, I don't that- know. If- that that's that is what it is. Uh, when you guys did get the back, back together to do the reunion, was there talk at that time or any talk at that time about trying to keep it going, or was, did you actually know that it was going to be this one show and that's it? Because like I said CJ's got Firehouse going on. There's been this whole resurgence and you know our music again over the last ten or fifteen years. So everybody's been busy and active. Uh, but was there talk then of it, or it was just like it was just the one show and that's it? It was the one show. Nobody really ruled it out, but um. It went so well that I think everybody would be scared to try to relive that moment. But at that point in time, it was like, this is it, one show. We're going to do it for us and do it for the fans and do the best we can. And that was the plan then, you know? Yeah. We did it at the Lincoln Theater in Raleigh, which was home territory for us. People can find that video on YouTube. It's a great video to watch if you're a fan of the band. You'll get to hear a lot of the songs that we were talking about that you didn't, you know, get to put out on record. And all the when you left the band, I mean, did you go on to anything else musically that you were interested in? Or did you just say, I've had enough of this and kind of put it behind you for a while? Um, I went home back up to the Asheville area and I was just going to try to get my head together, start a new band, write some songs. I did recruit some members, but it never just got off the ground. Then I started playing with local bands, making a little money, and next thing you know, it turned into years and years of doing that. I think if I hadn't have gone back to Asheville, or maybe just briefly, and got back out on the circuit, uh, things would have gone a little better because there were so many people from our area that have done well that just stayed at it and kept their nose going, man. And um, 
but the project I was putting together up there just didn't pan out. And just kept playing locally. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's a hard business to be in. You really do have to go all in. And sometimes it sounds easy to do, but it really isn't, especially as you get older and you have a family, other commitments, and then you got work that gets involved. I mean, years ago, you know, Max Warrior breaks up years and years go by, and you know, now CJ's in Firehouse. I got a big hit. Did you just sit there and say, damn? You know, uh, I was playing um, a bar in Western North Carolina. We took a break, and they had the huge video screen behind the band. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice. I was like, man, I recognize that voice. (laughs) And I turned around and looked, and it was Firehouse. Don't treat me bad. CJ and Perry, and I'm going, geez. And that was only like maybe three and a half years after we broke up. But... They worked hard. They paid their dues, and it happened for them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you know this business. It's a, it's a lot of luck. It could be You could be the most talented person in the world. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time and striking the right chord. It could happen to anybody, you know, good or bad. It's so true, man. You hear that. I remember listening to uh, Shannon Larkin from Godsmack, who used to be in Wrathchild, and we'd see him in Baltimore. They'd come down to the beach and play. And Shannon's interview on that Godsmack DVD was like, man, it's just luck. It's just sheer luck. And if you know Shannon's story, Shannon had given up. And Sully called him out of the blue one day. Hey, man, you want a job with Godsmack? And it was like, wow, it changed, you know, Shannon's life. And Shannon just says, it's just luck. And you're right, man. That's the way it goes sometimes. It is. It's all luck. And Wrathchild out of Baltimore were a great band. They were a great rock band. They had so many good songs. They had to change their name, too, because it was another Wrathchild at the time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You're right. They just put a a USA in the front of it, but in America. But I'm just saying, they had to say, they were a great band. They they put out a couple of records, couldn't make it. Then he gets a call by Godsmack, and next thing you know, he's, you know, it's big shit. It's amazing how things happen, you know? He was with Ugly Kid Joe before that Godsmack call on that oh, I right, Hate yeah. Everything About You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. But today you got Problem Child going on. You just played today. I hope it was a good show. It really was. It sounded good, laid back, some good fans there. They didn't tell us to turn it down, so we played loud as we could. <laughs> and uh, we play a lot of ACDC covers. They're, they call themselves a tribute to ACDC. They're out of Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Yeah. Just a bunch of good guys, like to play on the weekends, get together and rock out. <clears throat> I originally, excuse me, was supposed to fill in with them one show, and that was three years ago. <laughs> so now I just keep going and do it. We play about 30 shows a year with that wow. band. It's That's fun. great. Yeah, you keep busy that way. Um, and when I'm not doing that, man, sometimes I I do production work. I do sound. Um, actually, last fall, I went out and did front of house sound for Striper. Perry got gave me the call, and I went on. I was out for about three months with them, and that was really kind of fun because we had opened up for Striper and Max Warrior, and that's where that whole Striper connection, Perry, everything, and um. I do sound. Uh, I went out, did, if you've ever heard of the country guy, Luke Combs, I did yeah. a few shows with him on doing monitors. Um, 
Uh, Artemis Pyle from Leonard Skinner is from my hometown. I've played guitar with him and ran sound with him. So that's kind of what's been going on the last 10 years in Asheville as far as doing stuff like that. Uh, when I first moved to Asheville, the cover band that I joined <coughs> had Kelly Holland as lead singer. Uh, rest in peace on him. He was with the Cry of Love in the early 90s, 94. And they had Audley Freed, who's now with Sheryl Crow, and Rob Kearns, who's with Sheryl Crow. So um, been fortunate to work with some good singers. I worked with Caleb Johnson, that American Idol singer. Um, I tour managed his American Idol tour. So I'm kind of keeping my arms, my hands in all the fires, you know. I, I don't blame and you. That's the way you have to be in this business. You got to keep busy. I tell you, it was really great going out working with Striper because we did some big shows, working with Priest, the New Pantera, uh, Behemoth, Merciful Fate, and it was great to get behind the mixer in those bigger venues and just crank it up and see if I could uh, keep up with the Judas Priest sound guy. <laughs> but <laughs> it was fun. I'm sure you did yeah. great. I have to tell you, what a small world it is. Like, Perry's in Striper right now. The original bass player, Tim Gaines, is not with the group no more. But his brother, Steve Gaines, is calling in in about five minutes to talk about his band. So I'm going to have to let oh, you go, yeah. Alton, because I want to play some more Max Warrior before my next guest comes on. By the way, did you ever pay Dan Jones back the $10,000 you borrowed from him? All I right, think we might owe him a little bit still, and if he's listening, he's going to come looking for us. All right, I'm going to I'm going to go look for him and see if I can buy out his contract on you guys. So I'll own a piece of he's the band. He's a great guy. <laughs> he's a great guy, man. We're still friends. He's a good dude, man. I'm sure he is. Old man, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I'm going to let you pull, get back out of the parking lot, go home and relax, and I'm going to get my next guest on in about five minutes. I'm going to play some more Max Warrior before they come on. It was a pleasure talking to you, Alton. You too, Mike. Thank you so much, and I look forward to listening back to the interview. Uh, don't do that. You'll be disappointed. I really suck at this, but thanks. thanks anyway. <laughs> you take care, my friend. Rock Have a great out. night. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's get us some more Max Warrior burning down the gates of hell.
Steve, Eric, you on the line? I am on the line, sir. How you doing? Good. How are you, friend? How are you today? Doing good. <laughs> doing good. If I, I'd be even better if I could speak. <laughs> I know. You, you called it a little early, so you kind of, I didn't get to play a song by, you know, Anger uh, as Art before you called in, you know. Oh, no. What I did was I put you in my, uh, I put you in my uh, reason contacts so I could dial up the number quickly. Okay. Well, you dial real so quick. I was hoping... <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was, I was probably on for like literally a second, and as soon as it went through, then I hung up, so that way I could get it. Nah, that's no big deal. I could talk to you any time of the week. You know that. 
you're my, you're my, you're my, you've almost caught up with my, my number one guest of all time, Dora, who's been on the show 12 times. Steve, you've been on here 10. So we got to get you on here two more times and you pass Dora. Well, I'm better looking than she is. Absolutely. I mean, I'd be with you any day of the week. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm happy in my masculinity. Hey, but listen, once again, you know, I, I love having you on here. You know that. You're one of my all-time favorite guests to talk to. We always have a good time. Oh, thanks, man. Th- this yeah, new do. record is just unbelievable. I mean, you know, I can say that about every record you put out, but it just seems like each one keeps getting better and better and better. And that's hard to say when the first one was so great. Oh, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's actually nice to hear this is the first time anybody outside of the circle, if you will, has actually said something about it. Wow. Well, I'm happy. Well, you know, you gave me a little sample of it, you know, it kind of like wet my appetite back when you were working on it. I was like thrilled. And then last year when you were on the show, we were talking about it and it was, I mean, but it's been, I mean, what, it was 2016 or 17 since Ed Mortem came out. I mean, I know you had Fast as Fuck, which was a live record and a couple of new songs sure. in there, but the last full rent was probably seven years ago. That was a long time for the band. Yeah, it was. And if you recall, we started going through some, um, how do you call it? We started going through some challenges right about that point in time. Uh, We went through a period, and it affected every member, where uh, we were losing family members. Yeah. Uh, There were, you know, I hate to say it, but terminal illnesses and the life situations. And then COVID, of course, hit. So everything just kept getting pushed back further and further and further. But um, the band was always fine through it all uh even with the personnel change that you know that that was handled very uh very smoothly but it was just like it's like dang something else keeps coming up something else keeps coming up would people just stop dying so we could get back to work (laughs) it's sad but it is life and as we get older and our family gets even older these things happen but in as bad as things were and could happen to you you know on a personal level and the other band members did it also kind of help you out musically with this record? Because you did have that extra time where you felt maybe, you know, we don't need to pressure ourselves to do this every two to three years. I don't think we ever felt that pressure uh, to begin with. I mean, there, you know, we wanted to try and get it in about that, about that often. And if you look at it, over a 19-year, we're going on, we're in year 20 now to have seven total out. So we're averaging one less than every three years. Or is that longer than three years? Anyway, so we're still on the schedule. But, um, yeah, it's... I don't think we really, really concerned ourselves with that. It's like when it's ready, it's going to be ready. Um, music's like wine. It's just it's it's not going to be served before it's time. I love that quote. And uh, But it was frustrating for me specifically because I was literally hearing these songs in my head since uh, 2016. You know, and it's like after a minute, you finally hear these things get out of your head and into the speakers coming back at you. It's like, okay. I like it, but how are people going to react? It's it, This is actually a scary point, and there's not a band or an artist you're going to have on that will tell you otherwise. It's, it is absolutely terrifying until you start hearing the uh, until you start hearing people come back. So you made my day, Mike. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> is there ever a time you think in a musician's life or in any band where you are confident and comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm, you know, these songs are good. I'm not worried about that. I know what they're going to be. Or do you still worry about how people are going to react to it? Because people should know what they're going to get from Manga Resort. Just like I know what I'm going to get from you musically because I've been listening to you. I don't want to say it's been 40 years, but it's been 40 years, you know. <laughs> It has been 40 years, dude. All I know, it's scary. Do not lie. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still doing it. But do you really still worry about that? Yeah. Really? <laughs> see how quick? See how quickly I answered? Yeah, because um, there, there's that whole thing. There is, is this just existing in my own head? It's like you think you have a great idea and you could bring it into uh, a work situation, um, any group of people. You think you have a great idea and if everybody else poo-poos it and just says, nah, this ain't it, you know, that's not right. 
then you start thinking, okay, is anything valid? You could start second guessing yourself quick. So there's also, there were times in tactics, for example, where we were overly confident. Oh yeah, people are going to dig this. This is, and just, it fell flat. And that's a, you know, it's a scary thing. I've always been really, really, really conscious of it. Uh, even with the, say, when Avatar was trying to do reunions and we would come up with songs, it's like, oh, people should dig this. And they just didn't. It's like, okay, it's a good place to be that you should always be not too arrogant or like the album title was, Hubris Incorporated. You know, you, sure. should, not, uh, you should not be stuck in your own head and think that you've got all the answers ever at anything in life. Do you just think it was maybe the time and place that maybe those bands or those records or those reunions happened? Because, you know, when I think about, I mean, sometimes we're so set in our ways or like, you know, a lot of the 80s metalheads, you know, we're, we're both from that generation where we came up, but this was our scene to start with. Do you think that sometimes mm-hmm. we're so focused on what happened in the 80s? You know, Avatar put out, you know, you know this album and this man put out that record. That's all I want to hear. I want him to do that, that they don't give the new music a chance. You know, not everybody's in those original bands they started with in the 80s. They've moved on to other bands and they've made out, they've True. put great music out. Anger is on, but do you think people are just so focused on what happened in the 80s that they don't think about what's going on now? You're hitting on it. You're hitting on something really good there and uh, this may hurt some people to hear, but it's what I've, and you and I have talked about this. We call it the Al Bundy syndrome. Yeah. Where you know, a person lives for that one football game they had where they scored four touchdowns and they're a legend, but it happened when they were 18 and now they're in their 50s or whatever. And, you know, people, I think there's some fans, and bless their hearts, it's wonderful, uh, but they they really remember that album when it came out. I mean, I could talk about, and you know I do, I could talk about Priest albums and remember exactly where I was in 1978 or 1979 when they came out. And, it's just not fair to assume that they're going to put out another killing machine or another mm-hmm. stained class. I'd love to see it, but everybody's going to grow. You're going to grow. You're going to move on. Um, another analogy I've used is like somebody who studies, they go to college to be a brain surgeon and they're this incredible brain surgeon, uh, Ben Carson, for example, uh, who was one of the more legendary people and his story is amazing, but he's a brain surgeon. And there's some people that say, well, that's great that you're a brain surgeon and all, but I really want you to just put band-aids on my boo-boo when I fall off my bicycle. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've learned too much. You've experienced too much. You move on. I don't know. No, you're no, 100% right. And I know what a big Priest fan you are. I had Richie Faulkner on a few weeks ago. That was a thrill to talk that I I kid. heard it. It was, it yeah. was great. Yeah, we, we had a bad connection. He called on my cell phone. You know, I was like all frazzled trying to get everything together. But he was a sweet guy to talk to. He really was. And I know what a big yeah. fan you are. Like, you know, there's turn of classic movies in Network where they used to feature all the movies from the 30s and the 40s. And sure. as the decades went on, they started adding the 50s, the 60s. Now they're up to like the 80s. So you got early right. Priest going on. Now that the decades have moved on, do you go up an album? Do you go to like, you know, like you know you start playing solar angels next you start going to you know screaming for vengeance or just strictly stay until the 70s do you age with the, the, the decades or is it just stay where it is your point is well made no i'm pretty sure i'm pretty there are so many priest tribute bands out here in los angeles that are stuck and here's the thing they're trapped by having to play they have to play turbo they have to play breaking the law living after midnight you got another yep. thing coming otherwise people are going to go home upset uh, early priest was never trapped by that. I should mention that I have moved on. I'm not with the group anymore. Oh, I it didn't know just, that. Uh, it just happened probably about a month and a half ago or so. I just literally ran out of time. I wasn't able to give the guys the time. There were shows that were coming up, and it's like I couldn't commit to them. I couldn't commit to the rehearsal yeah. schedule. 
So, I mean, I love those guys dearly. In fact, uh, I went back and subbed in after I left at one point in time. But it's just I, I had to – it's a quality of life thing. It's like, okay, sure. do I want to keep, keep doing this? And so many times when you're out of the house, and it's like, you know, I think I, I kind of owe my wife – a little bit just to stay home and spend time with her. She put up with this band crap for how many years? But uh, that's a different story in and of itself. But no, pre or, uh, early priests would probably stick with uh, would probably stick with everything up until 1979 and let that be that. <laughs> I hear you. It's like in the movie Step Brothers. You know, there's 80s Billy Joel and they're telling them to play you know piano man. Like it's 80s Billy Joel. It's only 80s Billy Joel. <laughs> Hang on, I think we got Eric calling in. Let me see if I I always screw this thing up when I try to connect more than one person. Let me see if I can do this message call. Let's see if you get him. Yeah, let me see if I can get him on here. Eric, are you on the line? Hey, Eric, you there? Eric, Steve's already on the line. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good, Mike. How are you? It's been a long time since I've had John here with Steve. You know, it's been quite a few years. Ten years, yeah, maybe? long time. <laughs> yeah. I hope you weren't listening before you called in, because Steve was talking a lot of shit about you. Yeah, I'll, it's all good, though. It's all, it's all <laughs> no. true, bro. <laughs> Just joking around. I, I appreciate you guys even taking the time today because I know Hurricane Hillary is heading your way. You want the truth, bro? It's, it's really nothing. It's, yeah. it's raining. But it's nothing special. But you also call. We're also setting this up on the same day. Apparently, we just had an earthquake that I didn't feel. Oh wow! A lot going on in California. Uh, maybe some good will come out of the hurricane. Maybe it'll take the homeless off the street since the governor can't do it. Maybe a hurricane will help it out. <laughs> Either that or the whole state will just slide into the <laughs> One or the other. Uh, but you know what, Eric, yeah. I was just telling Steve what an amazing job you guys did on this record here. And, you know, the, when the band started out 20 years ago, it kind of really was like a one-man project, Steve. It was like your swan song in a way. And it morphed into what it's exactly. become today. And over the years, Eric has taken a bigger and bigger role behind the microphone. And this oh. record, I think, what, it's almost like maybe a, a 50-50 split vocally? I think it's fifty-five, forty-five, Eric, and I'm totally wow. fine with that because that's that's what the band was designed to do is to have multiple vocalists. And, and dude, he's just—I mean, you've heard the whole record. And yeah, he, the guy's just roaring. It's, yeah, it's, I'll just get out of the way and let him do it. It's wonderful. It's got to be nice too because it gives you a little bit of break on stage, also, just to go back and well on the guitar. Yeah, but that means I actually have to play guitar well. And ah, you come on, you play well. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about that in the past. You're a great guitar player. Eric, how'd you feel about taking over more of the vocals with this record? Were you comfortable doing that from the beginning? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely something I didn't take lightly. But in my uh, my original bands when I was a kid, uh, these bands Necroscope and Abstract Prayer, I was the lead vocalist in that one, or in those two, rather. Um, and then, you know, I stepped in with a little bit of vocals on Ad Mortem Festinamus, and that was cool. Um, but... Taking on, like, this album, like, the amount of time and energy we put into this one, like, I really think we honed it just to be as sharp as it could possibly be. So I wanted to make sure yeah. I was at my best. But um, but stepping in with the vocal part, like, I love it. I love that it is Steve and I singing each other's, like, lyrics. I like there are some songs I'm writing for myself. Steve's writing for himself as well. It's a great mix, man. I, I'm really happy with how it turned out. 
I couldn't agree more. People are going to hear it in a few weeks. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, Kiss is the ultimate band like that because you got Gene and Paul who, like, you know, kind of split the... Paul more so, but they both kind of split the songs. But you also have Ace singing. You had, you know, Peter Chris singing back in the day. Sure. And and each one was very, you know, it's Kiss. You know it's Kiss, but they were each distinctive in the vocal stylings. And you guys sort of have the same thing going on. You know who's singing and who's not singing at the time. But, Eric, when you come into a band where Steve has been the main singer for most of his life... I mean, do you try to separate your vocal stylings from what he's doing, or do you try to keep it in a similar vein because it fits with the grain of music? Well, you know what's interesting, and I was thinking about this when I was listening to Enemy Within when the lyric video went up. Um, it's a strange situation because I grew up listening to Anger is Art, certainly much more than um, than Avatar, and then you know stuff like Bloodlust and Tactics wasn't even really all that available, but. Um, Listening to so much anger as art, Steve has definitely had an influence on how I phrase things. But I wow. think where Steve has that melodic, that melodic ability, I don't really. Like, there's a little bit of me singing on this album, but, like, most of the time it's the hard stuff, you know? Um, and I think because my approach is different in that regard, it sets us apart for what we're going for. But, um, but I was thinking about the kind of, like, the rapid fire phrasing, the kind of like punctuation on some words, I'm like, ah, that's something Steve taught me without even teaching me. That's like something from Callous and Cure or something like that. <laughs> that's fantastic. My, my favorite thing about the new record is the title because I could actually pronounce this one. You guys have thrown me for a loop with the last couple of titles. <laughs> So I can say this one pretty, especially with my, Brooklyn, with my Brooklyn accent. You know, it makes it a little easier to flow off the tongue. <laughs> so wait a second, Mike. You're telling me that you could not produce fast as... Yeah, I, that, you can say fuck, it's the internet. Yeah, fast as fuck, I can pronounce that one, bro. The other ones, there were words that kind of threw me... Listen, I got a high school diploma. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. What do you expect? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> fast as a fuck was right up my alley. Cursing is like, you know, it's, it's nothing to us. That's part of our normal life over here in New York. Of course. Of course. But no, I mean, we spoke about the album title last year. You had mentioned it when you were on the show. What does it mean to you, bud, Virtual Symphony? Who are you asking? Anyone can answer. You asking? Uh, it, it, yeah, okay, I'll tell the story here. We were debating songs. The original album title, when we were first putting it together, was going to be called Beyond the End. And, in fact, if you look at the lyric sheets as you listen to it, you can still see a lot of references to that. But um, what happened is the way the record morphed and changed, um, there was this... The, I'll tell you the truth. This record turned on a dime on a song called Prevail Sympathy that Eric wrote, which to me, it's my favorite song on the record. And just it changed the entire mood. It's like all of a sudden, it's, oh, wait, we can do this. Oh, wait, we can do that. So I was stuck on the idea of let's call it Prevail Sympathy. And the rest of the guys were saying, no, we should call it Virtue Signals. So we're going back and forth and kind of ha uh, hashing it out. And somehow or another, the idea of virtual sympathy popped up. And... Here, here's what it means to me is, okay, you, you remember uh, in the midst of all, in the midst of COVID, there were all the riots. I'm not going to get on one side or the other of the riots and the protests and whatever that were going on. But there was famously out here in Los Angeles, a bunch of Instagram models that might have had the last name Kardashian. And <laughs> they were all, yeah, right, so they're all, oh, you know, here, I know you guys are cleaning up. Can I grab that broom or can I grab that hammer? And then their photographer starts taking video of them. He's like, okay, here, thank you. Oh, did I get dirty? And whatever. They, they don't care. It's all fake, but they want to look like there's something. They want to look like they really, really care about people. And that was the whole concept of it is like people 
this is what we've become in 2023. People claim that they are empathetic or sympathetic to a certain thing, but most of the time it's for extra clicks. It's for an extra set of eyeballs, and it's bothersome. So that's kind of how the album, uh, the album cover artwork uh, came up that I'm sure people have seen by now. With the uh, that Selfie. is actually the label boss's son. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, with uh, there's all kinds of chaos raining all around him, but all he wants to do is take a picture, a selfie. Yeah, it's like in that movie Pixels with Adam Sandler when the, the aliens are coming down and they're, they're taking out the Taj Mahal and the guy's turning around to take a, a selfie behind it. It's, it's just like that. Exactly. It's a sick world we live in when you think about it. You know, I mean, I mean, you're going, you're going, you're going to like Facebook. To everybody's a content creator. I'm like, what the frig is a content creator? I mean, I know what it is, but I'm like, you actually put that down. Like yeah. you're proud of that, right? It's it's bothersome, and but we're all guilty of it. That's the other side of the coin. I mean, I think so. I don't know. I'm going to preach a little bit here, but uh, social media has kind of turned us all into narcissists. And we're all looking for a soapbox to get up on. And I'm so self-conscious of that right now. I'm trying to get back off the doggone thing. It's like, look, this is just music. This is just entertainment. We want you guys to enjoy this, but I'm not trying to build a castle or a, or a kingdom to myself here. Just, just, I want to give you some music. We want to give you some music and hopefully you enjoy it. It takes the edge off for about an hour and you can go about your day without driving your car off a cliff or something like that. I don't know. But you, you have to right be a little bit, Eric? <laughs> but you have to be a little bit of a narcissist to be in this business. You do. Go on, Eric. Yeah. I think anything creative, unfortunately, and it's the kind of balance, but like anything creative, whether that's writing, uh, whether that's playing music, uh, ultimately whether that's trying to like create the best post or whatever, there is a kind of inherent narcissism because it's the same, especially because I think about this with music all the time where it's like you, you listen to a ton of music and you feel it and you're inspired by it. And you say, you know what this world needs is my take on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, it, and, yes. and it's hard because on one hand, like the thing needs that to live. On the other one, it's inherently ego driven. So you've got yes. to kind of like find that balance where you can create something that has hopefully some level of substance or meaning, but also, you know, balance that against that part of you that wrote it that says, I want this out there because this is me. And I think where that like ties into the title for me, I'm very similar. I'm echoing just about everything Steve said. Like there is something I think really broken about not only is it the most, most people are willing to do is to say like, you know, so sorry, things are bad. Like it's, it's a meme at this point, like thoughts and prayers, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you can do. But like, um, but there's something that's just kind of fractured when that is not just an acceptable level, but the acceptable norm. And I think that creates this distance between people that only like widens and widens. And by the end, like sympathy as the world, it's, we're in a hard place, man. Things are tough. And if your yeah. sympathies are entirely a, you know, 42 character post or something like that, you're not adding in. You're not exactly salting the wound. Maybe you're peppering it. It's not as bad, but it still sucks. Right. True. Well, well that was that, that was so. I was going to say that was so deep and well said. I feel like I should have took some night classes before I did this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of ego, I'll, I'll get on talking every day. Well, you know, Eric, with everything you just said, I mean, one thing about anger resort is that. 
your lyrics have always been rooted in reality. I mean, you know, there's no fantasy involved in here. You kind of write about the world around you, feelings, what's going on, what's happening. I mean, like we were just saying, in this world today, it gives you a lot of fodder to write about. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, completely. I mean, I think in this this album, like, is it? It's probably about that same fifty-five, forty-five split lyrically too. Somewhere around there. I think so. I think so. Yeah, we cover a pretty wide variety of topics, but yeah, it's one of the things I like about anger is there's there's nothing fantastical about the approach. We're nasty in our word choice, but we're not looking. To, we're not going the deal route, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one thing I know about Steve, even though it was his band, his project from the beginning, you know, he's a band member. He's not, you know, he's one one fourth of the band and everybody else contributes to the yeah. band. But Eric, being like such a young kid coming into this band with guys who've really been doing it for a long time, you know, was there any mm-hmm. trepidation of getting involved with what was happening as far as like the songwriting goes or putting your ideas out there? Or was it so welcoming mm-hmm. from the beginning that you kind of felt at ease and just contributed right away? You know what, Steve, Rob, and at the time, Dan, made me feel welcome immediately. There was never a point where it's like, hey, New Jack, put your song away, or anything like that. Like, I think on Ed Mortem, there's only one song I musically wrote, but like, I was able to contribute lyrics, and it's never been something that I felt like there was any barrier to. Because like you said, and this is where you can tell the marker of a good bandmate, is that while all music requires ego, Steve and the guys are entirely ego-less. When it comes to be in the being in the band, we're all here to craft the best songs possible. And yeah, there's never been any barrier to entry in that regard. If it's good, it's good. Yeah. If it's not, like, it's not. But thankfully, that's never been a problem. Yeah. And speaking of egoless, egoless people, this is the first recording we've done with uh, Albert Gonzalez. And holy smokes, you talk about a guy that should have an ego the size of Texas. And just the most humble, down-to-earth dude. And that's a whole different topic. I'm sure it's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, this is Alba's first uh, studio record with the band. I mean, he came in, what, 2019? He joined the band about four years ago now? Correct, yes. Yeah. So how did I, I mean, you know, Danny's been out for a while now. I don't even know what he's doing. He kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. I don't see him no more or anything about him anymore. I don't think he's even involved in music anymore. But how'd you come across Albert? Well, We've all known Albert since forever, and of course he's a bandmate of Rob's in uh, in Evil Dead. Yeah. So here's here's what happened when this happened. Uh, let's just say Dan's life is getting really really busy, and I can totally respect that. If you if you know if you don't have the fire to, I heard you talking to your earlier guest, and if you don't have that you know the same thing if you don't have that fire anymore as you go along in life, then it's perfectly fine to step away. That's great if you want to retire from it and stop uh, stop doing the shuffle. We totally understand. Um, the initial thought was this, and I, I can recall how quickly this uh, this conversation went back and forth between us on text. It's like, okay, look, because we had some shows coming up. We had some shows that were offered to us, and uh, everybody's like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And Dan goes, you know what, guys, I just can't do it anymore. He says, I need to step away. So my first reaction, I strike up a, a, a text chain with the other with <laughs> with Rob and Eric. I said, okay, fine. I, su- I suggest this. Let's go ahead and book the shows, play them as a three-piece, and let's just do what we do. Yeah. That probably lasted about three minutes, and then uh, Rob answered back. He goes, hey, says, let me talk to Albert. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was that fast. It was probably about a, a, a within a five-minute window. And it's like, Albert's not going to want to play with us. Come on. And, and he did. And that was shocking. <laughs> Could you see yourselves as a three-piece band, like, on a, on a full-time basis? Was it even an option to keep going that way? Or was it just going to be temporary if that was the case? 
I could see it. I could have seen it happening at that point in time because there was one particular show where um, uh, Dan couldn't make it. There was something that came up. It was an emergency, yeah. and, and, his, and we ended up, okay, what are we going to do? It's like we have to do this because the band that was playing with us was from Puerto Rico. We were supplying uh, backline for them. And it's like, okay, we've got to go do the show. We have to, no matter what happens, however it turns out, how it turns out. And that's when it's kind of like, well, we can do this. Put more emphasis on vocals, which, in fact, is what we've done now. And uh, I started looking literally at Motorhead, uh, where Bill Campbell or Fast Eddie never got enough credit for their lead vocals or for their side vocals, if you will. It's like, let's trade off. Trade off and make, and make this work, and it could clearly be done. But uh, the fact remains, there's got to be some somebody to, to raise the level of guitar playing, and that's what Albert did, and that's what Dan did while he was here, too. So Yeah. Well, Motorhead have also a three-piece band from the beginning, so things were kind of written that way. When you go as a three-piece, do you have to change and alter the songs around to accommodate one guitar player? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it could have been I, done. I think, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think in the case of Anger, I mean, we would have figured it out, like, because Steve is coming from a bass player background, too. So, like, I think we both have a similar objective as far as, like, how we might shift things a little bit. So we could have done it. Yeah, exactly. We could have done it. Um, But I think, to my ears, like, the second guitar player in Anger is so important. You know? um, Absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad that I was able to step in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that the toughest thing today, is keeping members in a band? I think it depends on the band and the, and the egos and attitudes of each uh, individual band member. True. So, I, I mean, e- egos and attitudes, you know, they still happen a lot today, unfortunately. Maybe not as much as the 80s. Do. But, you know, today right. it's more like, you know, commitments, family, you know, life. Life in general keeps people from being yeah. in a band more than, you know, the personalities and the ego and the, and the infighting and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're correct. <laughs> I don't know if I could add anything to that. It's hard. I mean, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon. The band wants to rehearse. Steve wants to go to Big Lot shopping. I mean, where do you go? What happens? How do you take it from there? Who who wins out? Does the 50% off on a couch at Big Lot went out? Or do you go to the studio well, to rehearse? Well, I'll tell you, there's something that weighs into that for me now. The Big Lot's near my house closed at Christmas time. Oh, that's not good. Dude. No, it's not. So the nearest Mike. one to me is like eight miles away. Oh, Jesus. Nice. You should have seen Steve around Christmas. He was despondent. <laughs> like there was, it was so hard to reach him. He would sit out front of the big lot, the closed one, and he would just like sadly just like drink on a soda and be like, buddy, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and he would look at me with these eyes that were just vacant. Because yeah, the little tear dripping down the eye, the little, little tear coming out of the eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about getting that teardrop tattooed because of Big Lots, man. <laughs> you guys are dicks, and that's why I love you. <laughs> and we can have fun. You know, talking about the new record now, I mean, musically, it's, I mean, like I was saying earlier, it's phenomenal. I mean, this is definitely my album of the year so far, and I think it's going to stay that way for the next couple of months. But when oh, you look at the you. resurgence we had in the metal scene, like maybe 15 years ago, you know, everything kind of died out in the 90s, and I still don't get that whole thing because people like, you know, grunge. I was watching, there's this documentary on Hulu about the hair metal scene. They have like four or five bands they interview. 
And, you know, right. that guy, Ricky Rackman, whatever his name was, from MTV, like, he was like, oh, no, it wasn't grunge that killed hair metal. It was uh, it was country music, you know. That came along, and uh, and, and it's just, I'm like, what, the, what drug is this guy taking? He's talking about country music. He's talking about one country star that killed the scene. And I was like, they all say it was grunge, but how did, like, one million metal fans in 1989 who loved every metal band and album that came out all of a sudden disappear a year later? And how did grunge take all those fans away? How do you give up on Anger Rosada? How do you give up on Overkill or Metallica? Because now you want to listen to grunge music. It's, it couldn't have been the fans that just disappeared and left. It could have been the music. Like, something else happened there. You know what I mean? I don't know what it they was, but how did, how did all those fans just disappear and say, oh, I, I love Judas Priest today, but tomorrow it's going to be Nirvana? Did the fans just give up like that in bulk? That's a tough one. Um, media is powerful. What media tells you can influence you. Uh, there was a whole thing of now. Now, granted, the, um, the metal scene was getting kind of stagnant. Let's be honest. There, yes, absolutely. There were a lot of bands that were, you know. Uh, but when when them starting to die off, they're driven by money. So what comes next? They find this scene happening in the Pacific Northwest, and media goes to it. I forget what magazine it was, but there was somebody that came out to interview. It might have been Rolling Stone interviewed somebody from the seattle scene and this person made up a bunch of stupid uh oh we wear this way that we wear that and we have this in our we talk about this and the whole thing was a goof and that's what created this whole scene and the person actually comes out and admit no i made the whole thing up just to make fools of them but it created a scene yeah <laughs> it's crazy and, yeah yeah it's nuts man but yeah another thing that was a factor in that is you got to think all those people were starting to have kids so when you've got to start putting food on the table for Junior, um, you don't have time to go out and hang out at pre-shows, hang out in the priest parking lot, um, or whatever the case may be. So they go away, the kids get into high school age, and then all of a sudden, hey, Dad can take Junior out to a pre-show again because Rob Halper came back, or whatever the case may be. And that's why there's the resurgence. That's a hundred. No, you're That's that's a hundred percent right. Because you know the same thing. I had my kids in the early '90s. I wasn't out going to shows like I used to be, but I never gave up on the music of the bands. I still bought the records. I still listened to the bands. Oh, sure. I know. I know that doesn't say much because you know you need that. Pe- you need people in the seats at a show. You know to put to put money in the bank. That's the way to do it. And I, I'm guilty of that too. And like it says, I went back 15 years later with my son to see all he made in Dio mode. I started taking him there. At least I converted him. Okay. <laughs> He's in Bell now. But I'm just saying when, when as the music went on and you know there were thrash bands and other bands that kept going. Some bands never gave up. They just kept writing it out. New bands came along. But the one thing I noticed is that the music changed drastically. You know, when they said this is a thrash metal band or a death metal band, to me, a lot of the music was unlistenable. I couldn't remember one word, one lyric, one riff. One. It was just a, a monotony of music that went nowhere. I think the most important thing in the song is that people can remember it. People can sing the lyrics. It doesn't have to be a pop song. It could be a death metal song, but there should be something catchy in a song, a riff that's memorable. Yeah. And bands forgot that on this record, there's 11 songs that I can recite every word to and every riff to after like a couple of listens. Wow. Wow. I'm just, I'm just making that up. I don't remember them all yet, but I will in a, <laughs> I will in a couple of months. <laughs> I knew you were lying about it. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying every song in this album is catchy. Every song is catchy. Thank as you. hard and heavy as they are, you remember what you listen. You're waiting for that chorus to come. You're waiting for the, the main riff to happen. That was missing in music for a long time. And why would a band want to write music that's not memorable? Ooh, that's a loaded yeah. question. Eric, you want to take a shot at that? Well, I was going to say, I think that that ties into kind of why things... I mean, because I was, you know, three years old in 1990, so I wasn't there for it to actually happen. Um, 
But when I think about that switch to grunge, I think a lot of it was a kind of response to where heavy metal was going. Because, like, hair metal, I mean, just me, but I find most of that stuff, like, just to be, like, cotton candy. There's no nutritional value. It'll rot your teeth if you do it too much. Um, but, like, when I think about, like, even bands that are really good, right? Like, you look at, like, 1989, 1990, the impetus for thrash metal becomes as much as possible, maximalism. So it's right. like, you, I mean, a good example is Injustice for All. Every song seven, eight minutes long. Every song has four movements in it. Like, as a listener, there's, there's only so far you can take that style of songwriting before you either burn yourself out or you become Rush, you know? And so, like, <clears throat> I think a lot of that stuff was kind of hitting its, hitting its wall there. And then, you know, also you have, like, what, death metal and black metal kind of coming up as the cutting edge. <clears throat> but I think that that movement back towards making more memorable songs, trying to, like, have a hard-hitting chorus or going more riff-oriented, which, like, <clears throat> post-Pantera in the early 2000s or so, you almost lose riffs. Like, the new metal right. part, yes, but, like, everything becomes drum patterns that just happen to be played on guitar. <clears throat> and so I feel like in the past six, seven years or so, there's been this movement back towards, like, I want to hit you with a chorus that's going to fuck you up. Yeah. I want a riff that's going to make you mm -hmm. do the riff face. You know, like, yep. and I think that that was, that's always where Steve and I have been as songwriters. So yes. getting to kind of get Definitely. together and really, like, shape that as much as possible, you know, I really like what came from it. It's an amazing record. Like, and just as full of my opinion, I felt like every song Metallica wrote on their record were like three songs that they couldn't go nowhere with, and they just combined them together to make one song. That's the way the whole record came off to me. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I, I call it the 20 pounds of music into a 10-pound song yeah. syndrome. Yeah, yeah. That was that whole record. But I remember for years, I mean, after bands were writing songs with like nine verses, no chorus, no nothing. I couldn't remember anything. I was like, I don't even know what I just listened to. I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's frustrating. It is frustrating, and I remember that time very well. There was a ver very much an effort or a tr trying to get away from being melodic. I can recall playing with one band, and I'm not going to mention their names. I don't want to... No, mention their name. Uh, Go ahead. That's them. what we're here for. Nobody's listening okay. to the show anyway. Okay. Don't worry about it. Okay, so it was when I was <laughs> playing with Dreams of Damnation. It was like, well, we don't want to be that melodic when I come up with an idea. What do you mean you don't want to be melodic? Well, it sounds too good. It's like, that was a quote that I got from one of the band members. It's like, that part sounds too good. Well, well what does that mean? It sounds too good. So you want to sound bad? I mean, it, help me here because I'm not understanding. And then that became like the one of the riffs that came between us. It's like, because I'm sorry, but a song, whatever style of music it is, it has to be good. Or yes. it should be good at the, at the very least. Whatever good is as a uh, measurement. Um but it just drove me nuts. Like that's just that sounds too good. It's like so. What I mean, tell me, explain to me. I don't understand what it means. You want it to sound bad? Obviously, they and do. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the new record. There's melody in the new record. You got plenty of melody in the new record. But it's it's your version of melody. You know, there's different versions of everything. I've got to point something out to you about. You mentioned melody there. And I'm going to steer it back to Albert here on this. When, when Albert and I first got together, first of all, I mean, Eric was in the room. I froze. It's like when you got Albert Gonzalez looking at you going, come on, dude, show me how this song goes. And it's like I'm showing this guy who can, you know, who can play guitar like no, 
it's like I literally froze up and it's like I hear cotton. So I was like, okay, I've got to get my, I've got to get my act together here because I'm literally freezing. But one of the first conversations Albert and I had, and you know me, once again, I talk about priest all day long, right? So we're talking about playing guitar. And I said, uh, I mentioned something about something Glenn Tipton does on a regular basis. And I said, you know, this, I call it a Tiptonism. And Albert, like, a Tiptonism? I've never heard that before. I said, it's a word I made up. So anyway, what ended up happening on this, on this record, all the way through it, is Albert would come up. This is why he got so many writing credits, because he would come up with a melodic bit. He's like, no, I don't want to do a solo here. I got a melodic bit that I want to lay over the top of this. It's going to make it sound like that. So, well, okay, so as we're recording it, we're all looking at each other going, oh, my gosh, this just took the song up a level. So much, in fact, there's one song. It's uh, Absent Sin. And I reached out to Eric. Okay. I said, Eric, I said, we, should, we should give Albert writing credits on this. What do you think? He goes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> because it's oh, like yeah. he's not doing solos. He's doing melodic bits that took the songs and made them go a different direction. And that's something I don't think he's done in either Evil Dead or when he was playing with Death or whomever else. It's, it's, it's just an amazing piece. So it's like I remember saying, it's like, Dude, do something you've never done in any other band before. And he did. And we benefit from it. So absolutely. Do you feel like the band today is where it always should have been? Yes, but then again, if you would have told me this five, asked me this five years ago, I would have said the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you just you evolve over time. You're where you need to be. I don't. I don't feel like we're out of place. I don't think the band has ever been out of place. If that makes sense. No, I, I completely understand that. You're where you are at the moment, and you know it's always for the best in this time. And on this record, once again, uh, you work with Ron. You know, behind the scenes, uh, I don't yeah. know. There's something about that guy that brings out, I think, the best in all of you. Yeah, he's great. He, he's the man. Yeah, he's uh, he's well because of the fact that he's also a songwriter, singer, guitar player, bass player as well himself. Um, he's a guy who can sit there. I remember the first conversation we had, and I think we've talked about this. He says, you know, I bet you were thinking you wish you would have done this on this song. Yes. I bet you wish you were thinking you would have done that. He has a knack for coming into a song and say, hey, what about if you do this? What if you do that there? And it just makes sense from a songwriter's perspective, not from a producer's perspective. So that's why we kind of developed a solid relationship with him. That plus, is a likes plus. To eat good, good food. Uh, that's that's very important. Yeah, it is a plus having mm-hmm. a musician behind the scenes working with you because they've been there and they kind of know the feel. But you know, when you work with somebody who isn't a musician whose job is just being a producer and engineer, don't they also bring out something in you that you might not have been able to find on your own? It's tough. It depends on it depends on their background. I guess is the best way to put that. Anna, what do you think, Eric? Um, I think I was just thinking that actually when we were talking about Ron, there were several points, um, especially with like vocal phrasing, that Ron yes. would have an idea where he'd be kind of like, oh, well, give this a shot. And like speaking of egoless, Ron's another guy like that. If I had said like, nah, that ain't going to work for me, it wouldn't have been a problem. But he's got good insight. And so there are a few points where he's like, just try this. And if it's not good, we'll get rid of it. But like because he's coming from a musician's mindset, a metal yeah. mindset, but also kind of a different corner of heavy metal generally. There are creative ideas that come from him that wouldn't occur to me, and I'm sure, Steve, it's the same for you. Like, Agreed. there's something about his dedication, just like we are dedicated, to making the best song possible, that, like, when he does bring something forward, not only is it something unexpected usually, but it's almost always, like, the way to go. You know, and it adds an extra little bit of paprika to the dish, you know? 
Paprika. I liked it. Well, you know, you said he likes food, so paprika was a great reference to go along with, you know, your comment about liking food. Good food. I like that. Well, I have to say one thing. You know, this is going to be a great fall for you guys. You know, the record comes out in a couple of weeks. And on top of that, you know, let's talk about the Gates of L.A., the Metal Festival taking place. I think it's October 14th and 15th. Correct, yes. There's some lineup on that bill. Even though they got Riot on there, who's not even the real Riot, it's like a make-believe version of the old Riot, and they play every festival. The rest of it looks amazing. I, I can make peace with with Riot as they are. Um, I totally understand. I mean, it's a little bit tough with uh, Mark being gone. But by the same token, they're great live. Um, and those are some great songs, too. So that's going to be fun. And that's the day that uh, Anger's playing, too. So uh, that'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll ride five on every single festival in the world. That's all. They just go from festival to festival. I mean, listen, Todd is, Todd is a great singer. All the other guys, I know most of them, they're good guys, but I just feel like, you know, listen, there's no original members. Let's pack it up and let's give us something else and call it a different name. That's just my way I feel. But at least this time, they're going to be playing on a stage. The last time they played a festival in California, they played us a sort of Mexican cantina on the floor in the back room somewhere. So this is a big step oh. up. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's true. That festival uh, turned out to be fun. <laughs> I think Eric was there. I wasn't there. Oh, were you? I was not there. I was not oh, okay. there. I believe I actually had okay. a dance with another band that night. So I was getting like um, the update. I was in Germany, actually. I was getting That's updates right. on the show as it was happening. And uh, it was on the floor, no stage, no lighting. So it had a kind of like 11 a.m. office meeting look. <laughs> Which, uh, particularly for the more theatrical bands, must have been brutal. Um, right. Yeah, that one goes down is like a. I think the French term is clusterfuck. <laughs> that was a rough one. I had Ripper on the show right after that, and he was like tearing that that oh. show apart. And if you watch the videos on YouTube, there's some band with a guy wearing a mask playing in the hallway, and you see the guys coming out of the bathroom behind them, put up the zippers and everything, and brushing themselves <laughs> off. <I was> like, <laughs> My friend yeah. called me because he goes, you know, you, goes, you know, Riot's playing in California. I said, yeah, there's a festival. He goes, I don't know. I walked into a store to buy a burrito, and there's a band playing in the hallway. He's like, oh, shit, how do you like that? <laughs> yeah, Riot's playing a set at the Chevron down the street. <laughs> yeah. But that's going to be a oh, great show. Yeah. There's a lot of killer bands on that festival. And, and this is your first show uh, in, in quite a while, right? In over a year now, so yeah, wow. yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. In fact, um, one of the things we're, we're going to do another interview tomorrow, and I think all four guys are going to be in the same room for the first time since we finished recording. And it's like, okay, you know, because now uh, Evil Dead are back from uh, touring Europe, and they had a smoking tour, man. They just had a, they, they went down really, really well. So uh, now we've got to think about, okay, how do we make Anger Resort a live band again? We've got to start rehearsing. Eric, that scares the crap out of me. Ah, <laughs> uh, it'll be fine. How much are you going to focus on the new record live? Because, you know, a lot of bands, you know, in the old days, bands would come out and they would do maybe two songs off the new record and keep it to the hits. How do you guys approach it? Hey, we're looking at, am I giving away too much information if I say that uh, uh, it's going to be 75% of the new record? Oh, that's, well, listen, yeah. the new record is, is like the old records. It just feels like you've known them. That's how great the songs are. You're so comfortable the first time you hear them. You feel like you already know them. Yeah. Yeah, and we get to pull out what we, what we call the hits. In fact, we actually have to take some hits off the list uh, and, you know, play some of the hits from previous records, like we have hit singles, sure. Uh, <laughs> but songs that people remember that they'll feel comfortable with, So they, and they feather right into the new record good. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. I'm sure it's going to be great. 
Eric, you have something to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like bands now, when they're supporting a new album and they're only playing like two or three tracks, it's almost always a dead giveaway that that is a just okay album. True. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, not every time. Not every time, certainly. Sometimes just constraints or you have so many hits that you can't make all the room in the world. But I think if you are like, especially a thrash band, if you're a thrash band touring and you're doing two or three songs off the new album, that tells me you are really leaning on the back catalog because you're not very confident in the new one. And so I'm very happy that we're, we're really pushing this new album in the set list because there's a lot of different colors on the album. And I think that this stuff live is going to really, really smack. So looking forward to that. I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. The last, yeah, the last show we did, we actually tested a few, a few of the songs on people and the reaction was just like, oh, gosh, can't wait for that record. So um, yeah, looking forward to how this is going to land. So. Yeah, well, you know, whatever I just said was so true. When you don't do enough songs left in the record, it feels like you don't have confidence. And I just saw, you know, Jack Panzer was just on tour over in Europe. They did a, you know, a couple of weeks of t- shows over there. I'm looking at the set list, and it was like, same thing, about 80% of the new record. They did everything but maybe two songs off the new record, which were like sort of instrumental type songs. And a couple of the older mm-hmm. songs, like that, I'm like, wow, I would never expect to have done that many with all the albums that they have and all the songs that they have. But you're right, they were so confident how good that record was, and it's a great record. They went and did almost the whole record sure. live. Not in order, but you know, and it is like a concept record. But you're right; that's true. Yeah, it's it, Eric sitting it on the head, and it's absolutely true. It's it's, and it also has a lot to do with how uh, how people react to it. Um, bigger bands, uh, legacy bands, if you will, that um, have new records, um, and they if they avoid some of those songs, and they're sticking on that, it's kind of a shame. It kind of means that the record's going to kind of die on the vine. And that sucks. That does suck because you put a lot of work into these things. You spend six months to a year in a studio or however long it might be. And when you see the effort go away, it's like I said when we first got on here, Mike, you were the first person out of our circle that actually heard this. And it's like, okay, you know, how does this land? And when you you got back to me and you said – and you were actually picking out songs and saying, I like this one, I like that one, it's like – Okay, I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're going to be way more than all right. This is a phenomenal record. It was well worth the long wait. And I know you have contacts here in the New York area, and I'm hoping that you can make something happen to get back here to New York again. It'll be phenomenal. I know the Rage of Armageddon kind of got canceled when you guys were supposed to come over before COVID and everything, and it didn't happen after that when it did get back on again. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe you and Ed can get together and make something happen because we need you back here in New York. Love to. I mean, it would be it would be ideal, and I'm sure Eric would agree with that. Maybe we can go out with Stygian. That would be all right. That would be phenomenal. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Putting Eric on the spot here. <laughs> well, we got a whole lot of people we got to check with on that one, but hey, why not? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know it's also harder to, to go out on the road these days and you know make things happen especially it's so expensive today with the economy and the way things are going and it was expensive before it's even worse now but it would be great to get you back I need to see you guys live again we'd love to man and it's uh, it, believe me it's high on the priority it's um I don't know exactly when because uh, we I'll tell you this we had a uh, we had an opportunity to go to uh, Puerto Rico at the end of the year but that one actually got pushed through because of finance once again. So yeah. uh, there's another opportunity to go back in spring. And again, I've got to make sure that that's uh, on a date that'll be clear. But if we go through Puerto Rico, then obviously you can fly through New York easily. And then um, that, that could easily be done. It's just a matter of can we make it happen and can the numbers all work out correctly? And that's it's true. interesting. A lot, of, a lot of fans, I'm sorry to say it, but a lot of fans don't really understand 
Uh, there's people that are pissed off that Anthrax canceled their second tour of Europe, for example, not realizing how much money needs to be put up up front. And just with so many co uh, costs in a state of flux, you're not doing this to take a family vacation. You're doing this because it's your living, so to speak. And you can't go in and go upside down. And I just wish more fans. You see them on Blabbermouth, and I've ran people get on Blabbermouth, and they just want to—they just want to complain for the sake of complaining. But it's like understand this is this is dollars and cents. This is you know you wouldn't make a trip to Disneyland or Disney World if you couldn't afford it. But you're expecting everybody else to go to Disneyland or Disney World for you because you want them there when you go. It's, and then they don't tough. show up anyway. That's the sad part. They don't show up half the time anyway. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's frustrating, man. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a <clears> shitty economy and, and it sucks for bands. I got a tour, but the only good thing that came out of this bad economy was that Anthrax didn't tour. So I guess something good came out of it, in my opinion. But that's just how I felt about Anthrax. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're from they're from your neck of the well. All those I know. I'd now. rather they're, eat, I'd rather eat crumbs on the floor for the next five years. That means Anthrax won't tour. I, you know, I'm fine with that. I just don't. I just. I just don't. I just don't like him. Okay, no worries. Charlie Benante is such a dick. I gotta be honest with you. I interviewed that guy years ago, and he goes, "Oh, he's interviewing the military." He goes, "Wait, I gotta take a phone call." I said, "You're on a phone call. You were talking to me. We're doing an interview. I gotta take a phone call." He put me home for like 20 minutes to talk to his girlfriend or something. Then he came back on the phone. I hung up on him after that. Hold on. Was it a live interview or was it or recording? It was being recorded. You know, it was being recorded the interview because they were doing like a press day. So like they were doing one after the other for the whole day. And I'm like, but you know, you know, you're doing press today. You got like ten interviews, like you know, every half hour when they set them up, and yeah. you, you know, you put me home for twenty minutes and a half hour on on the phone with you. I bet you didn't do that, to Eddie Trunk. I bet you that fat fuck got you for the whole half hour. You didn't do it with him. Well, you know, speaking of that, that whole kind of set list breakdown as far as like new stuff versus back catalog, Anthrax in their live uh, in their live set at least the past few years is like three or four fucking covers. So I don't know what that even says about the goddamn back catalog. It but, says that it uh, sucks, just like the, the new catalog, the front catalog, and the old catalog. They all suck. Mm. After if if Neil Turbin right. left the band, that was it. Neil Turbin's no winner either, but after he left the band, that was it. <laughs> I just it's say what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. There's nothing sacred on this show. Everybody can say what they want to say. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm clearly on record about how I feel about Among the Living, and I think they should have stopped after spreading the disease, but that's just me. I, I, I still can't get over how people think that's an absolute masterpiece when you got somebody going, one, two, not three, four, die, evil, you confessing, and yes, L. Yeah, come on, man. Are we, oh God, I sound like You're right. Biden for a Anthrax, Anthrax went with every trend that came out with every record. You know, they were a traditional heavy metal band, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the New York hardcore scene started to develop, and the bands were crossing over. They had SOD going, which was a little side project, but then when Anthrax finally got back together with Joey Belladonna and the band, they started turning SOD into Anthrax. Then that kind of died out. Then it went to the rap metal. Then it went to the joke metal. Then it went to the new metal. Then it went to all kinds of crazy kind of fucking metal, mathematical metal. Symphony metal, whatever the hell was popular, they just went along for the ride with. Then, like, well, now we're going back to classic metal, and the classic metal didn't sound like classic metal. It sounded like shit, like everything else they've done. Well, I was gonna say, Anthrax are about as fucking heavy as a pillowcase full of feathers. So I mean, like, <laughs> their versatility is fucking minimal. Like, and also, like, I, I've got no fucking sense of humor when it comes to heavy metal. Like, this is, you know, to me, this is serious. This is what my brain likes to create. So when you're coming into it with this kind of like jerk off mentality that like hur, 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 we're all gonna wear cargo shorts and have a nice time, well good for you man. Clearly it's been successful. 
kind of. I mean, how's Anthrax Whiskey doing? But, like, I, there's just something about that band that's always felt so fucking disingenuous. I don't know. No thanks. No, I couldn't agree more. And I feel the same about Pantera. Don't get me started on Pantera. I feel the same about mm. them. I know that people feel differently, but I, I got no love for that band either. Pantera is the soundtrack to fucking domestic assault. I've got no, no interest <laughs> in Pantera either. Oh, my God. All right, Diamond Daryl, Dimebag Daryl. Come on, give me a break. One minute you're running around a spandex singing Ace Frehley covers. Next thing you're out there, you know, you're the, the hottest band in the world. And I get it, people's oh musical, I, I get it, people's, you know, musical interest changes in time, and I get that, but man, it just always seems so convenient when the whole scene changes that you go along with it. Yeah, yeah, it's, you gotta stand your ground, you gotta still be who you are and what you are. And you guys have always I mean, done that, and that's why I love Anger Resort. Oh, thank you, man, thank you so much. Now, if I could just get you to smile on a picture, it would be nice. I know it kind of goes against the grain of what the band stands for, you know, image-wise, but smile, you got such a beautiful set of teeth on you. Smile, put a smile on your face, smile on a picture. <laughs> no, there are pictures. In fact, I posted one yesterday, because, by the way, Eric, happy birthday. It was Eric's birthday Oh, I tried, happy yesterday. birthday, Eric, yesterday, yeah. Yeah, but there was a picture that he has of himself looking just slick as can be i mean you know and he's got this smile on his face and i'm thinking to myself if people only knew that the smile <laughs> well i mean there was a very pretty girl holding the camera what the fuck oh, well, there you go that yeah there you that, go that'll have something to do with it <laughs> we gotta get steve to smile you know what you do eric have the photographer hold up a 50 percent off coupon for big lots over the camera and steve will put on a big smile and then we'll get that on film well, I'll set that picture up myself, and I'll put the coupon in it. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna. You've been on the show so many times, that I'm running out of pictures of you. I had to go to an old picture for this one. I'm gonna send you a J.C. Penny gift card. Go to the studio and J.C. Penny. Take some pictures for me and send them to me, so I can use them in the future to, to advertise when you're on the show. Oh, you know, you know, I'm probably gonna end up doing that uh, if they still have a photo studio. Either that, or I'll just step into a photo booth. <laughs> I used to go. To, I used to take the kids to Kmart for seven ninety nine. Get like five hundred pictures for seven ninety nine in the eighties. Those were the days, man. I just got this image now of uh, this image of Steve in front of a Big Lots or in front of like a camera with the timer with the Big Lots coupon taped above the camera. It's like the most deranged image I could possibly think of. Like the police are definitely gonna come. I, you know, I, I wish that the artwork for the album was still being worked on because I would have told the artist, just in the background, when the guy's taking a selfie, put like a big lots in the background, like a little like outline of the big lots, just like the B.I.G. with the exclamation point over there because that's gone too. Dude, my favorite one you ever did was when you photoshopped uh, the record bin at Big Lots. I had oh, yeah. <laughs> I said we got to get them to sponsor the album. <laughs> record Store Day at Big Lots. Yeah, I'd do it. What the heck? I mean, the furniture won't last, but at least we can sleep on it one night. Listen, I was tempted to buy that Broyhill recliner when I was there yesterday. I was there the day yesterday we were there. I was like, oh, I got to get this. But I got no way to get it home because I was in Connecticut. We don't have any big lots here in New York. Oh, man. Yeah, we, we have no big lots here. I have to go to New Jersey or Connecticut to get get to a big lot. You know, so I, so I said, well, hey, you going to get that recliner home in the top of the car. It's like a four-hour drive. I'm like, eh, we'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, come to L.A., you got to see what people put on the roof of their cars out here, man. <laughs> yeah, homeless. You're going to when are you coming out here? i got to come out there soon. i got to come out there soon. Mm. I was going to go to October NAM, then I was like, that's so like ridiculous to go to NAM. It's like not even real no more, but <laughs> I just got to go out there one January. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, when are they like, doing it now? They're doing it later, like in March or something, aren't they? I don't know. I feel funny going there. Like I go to just like the interview bands and stuff like that. I'm not buying nothing. I'm not there for merchandise. That's really what it's meant to be. You know, I'm just like because right. I set up interviews with bands for me like, before I go down there. But like, and I'm walking around with them, like looking at boots. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying a guitar. I'm not going to sell these things. I'm not going to, you know. So it was kind of like a waste. But I do got to get out there to come just to come see you. Yeah, well, come on, October. That's a good one. I I know I would love that. It's my birthday month too, so maybe I'll tell the wife to buy me tickets. She'll do anything to get me out of the house for a weekend. She don't care. Exactly. There you go. Tickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can mix in the uh, the uh, the power trip fest too for a thousand dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, that's crazy. Is that what the charge for the tickets? A thousand dollars? It would have been worth it. Maybe see Ozzy stumble all over the stage for about an hour, but that's not happening either right now. But Priest is on the bill. Yeah, yeah, they're up. I mean, it's it's a nice lineup and all, but I just that's a lot of money for for. I think you can only buy the three day pass if I'm not mistaken. Right. You can't go individual. Really? And, oh wow, that's 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 a lot of money. Right, and every day on the ground is going to cost you money. Yeah, yeah that's I too much. Fucking Coachella Valley for three days. I'd rather kill myself in public. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> every band on that bill I saw in the eighties for six ninety five. Right, exactly. And $5 dollars of Ticketmaster fees. <laughs> right, and we all complained about that back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, but that's how they were. It was cheap back then, you know? $7. You see, oh, yeah. I saw Ozzy and you know, saw Ozzy Metallica, Ozzy and Motley Crue at the Garden. You know, that's, it's, you know, I know the cost of more now, but how much did it go up over the last 30 years that you can't put on a ticket for, like, you know, a reasonable price today? I mean, I, I see Metallica just played here. I think they were going for, like, $300 for a ticket up in the nosebleed section. Insane. What were they? Yeah, what were they going for here in LA? Uh, the uh, Metallica tickets? I don't know, but just ridiculous amounts of money. It's and, nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. But you know where you get a good deal at the Gates of LA Metal Festival? You get a good deal on the tickets over Look there. You get to see that. a dozen bands every day for two days, and good bands. <laughs> exactly. That's it's going to yeah. be so much fun, man. There are so many great bands. Yeah. Really no, you should do. Show. You should go it's on there and do a show. bunch of riot. You should do a bunch of riot covers to, to do the covers of the riot that the cover riot band is doing. Yeah, but but we've got our own album to promote. They can learn our covers. Uh, that's true. Yeah, why not? They could be an Angus our cover band too. Right as anger. Oh, per- perish the thought, man. Because <laughs> that day may be coming. You never know. <laughs> Do you ever see an end to anger as art? I mean, you could go on forever with this as long as you're healthy and you know and doing it and able to do it. I think I say it every time we do a record. This could be our last record. You never know. You just don't know. I mean. It- this is still, it's like, okay, you need to put a band together to play songs from that demo you did back in 2004. And we're still like on the, uh, on the, on the fluttering heartbeat of that, if you will. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard to think of things like that. There are some bands that probably should have gone away, but hang on too long. But I think we'll know. I think we'll know when it's time. It's like when there's no ideas or the ideas are just garbage. It's like, okay, are we done? Yeah. And you know, you walk away with your head held high and just say, terrific, but uh, it's it's not today or tomorrow. So, you know, we'll carry on. I got to send that memo to John Cyrus. I don't think he got that memo. <laughs> I heard you uh, playing, because I was listening to the show before we came on, playing uh, playing the old 144,000 gone. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, and you also mentioned that you would love to get him in for an interview. It's like, dude, I would pay money to hear that. Because I, I know I could needle him. You would I tried, him and he would not know what to do. I tried. You know, he would uh, probably, 
put a curse on you and send uh, send uh, <laughs> send aliens down there. Do anal probes on me, that guy. But I, I got to get him on here sooner or later. I had Chris Logan from yeah. Savage Grace a couple of months ago. Yeah, and, and you talk about off the wall. I mean, he was a fun interview because he's so crazy. He can't help but go along with everything he's saying and laughing. But I asked him, I said, "What happened? You know, when you became a doctor? You know, when uh, <laughs> you were examining people and stuff?" He goes, "That was an FBI probe or a cover up by the CIA." <laughs> On this whole tangent, I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." I'm like this guy's he a mental case. Be that way. He never used to be that way. I don't know what happened to the dude, or if it's all an act put on to make people talk. I don't know. He moved but to the islands. The day, he, was... he opened up a clinic. He... he was treating people, you know, with the mystical medicine or whatever, and he got caught. <laughs> oh I guess when he started gosh, taking yeah. Blue Cross Blue Shield, they caught on to it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, you know, I can I can say they're talking about. Sorry, just to talk a bit more shit. Um, the, the guy uh, from Savage Grace years ago on his website, there was some bit at the bottom where it said, "If you basically, if you're a pretty girl, email me and I'll take you around the world." It's fucking ludicrous. <laughs> no, he said that. You said that during the interview. Like he's, he gets all these women. I was like, because not like the old days where I can grab girls by the tits and do this and do that, but I still do it anyway. He was a, he was a nut, but those make good interviews, you know. Dude, I remember yeah. watching local local news here one night, and they talk about some guy holed up in an apartment with uh, a, you know plenty of assault weapons and whatever. And then they flash the picture up there, and I, I had to do a double text. Like, oh my gosh, that's the dude from Savage Grace. <laughs> and it's no joke. I mean, I know we're laughing at it, but it's like there's something. He's got some, something's not right. Something's not right up there. Yeah. You told me that story a long time ago, and I laugh about it till today. You know, when you said that, because I didn't yeah. know about that. You know, but I was like, oh yeah, God. he's definitely out there. I mean, he's. He's definitely one of them. I got to get Cyrus on here because I just wanted to just like needle him as much as I can. But uh, I'm going to keep oh, working yeah. on that. One. I'm not going to let that go. But he's actually supposed to be playing, if it happens, at that Hell's Hero Festival in Texas next year. I know. The, yeah, I think yeah. he did Keep It True last year. The year before that, it was like a disaster. And then all the other shows got canceled right behind it that he was set up the door over in Europe. Yep. So I'm waiting to see what happens with Hell's Heroes, how that goes. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, be I, can, I think I can... Uh, Eric and I were both very strong proponents of Bruce Hall when Bruce sang for Agent Steel. Good singer. Because yeah. Bruce had a great voice. Those were great albums, great songs. Um, good dude. Uh, you know, and they were they were productive. But it's like then John got into the mix and, and the wheels fell off. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. But uh, I think it's funny because a lot of those people, they were in Europe, you know, they were saying, no, 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 John this, John that. And it's like, then all of a sudden, hey, you know, you were right. Those Bruce records are pretty good. <laughs> They yeah, were. they were. But even, I was, I, yeah. I want to say it was maybe five or six years ago, maybe more than that now, my mind is starting to slip. Uh, Bernie did the Masters of Metal, which was sort of like, you know, his version of Age of Steel, I guess he could have used the name. That was some good stuff, too. They were terrific. They and were he was, so and he good. sang them most. I saw that one single with uh, Rick Mathias, and it was like, you know, he's out there with John Cyrus, that guy. Yeah, Rick's yeah, a good dude. They both got he, he, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they both got beamed up to <laughs> Um, no, Bernie. Bernie had a. And nobody knew Bernie. Bernie had that voice, but he yeah. certainly had that voice, and he was just it was amazing. It's like, okay, this could go someplace. And then I don't know what's going on with Bernie's health. I mean, I don't want to divulge anything if it's not public knowledge, but yeah. he had some medical issues here uh, recently, and just I still wish him the best. He's a real good guy. Absolutely. Hopefully he'll get better. Hey, Steve, Eric, I'm going to have to let you go. I just realized it's after 8 o'clock at night. The show should have ended 10 minutes ago, but I'm going to play. I didn't get to play music yet, so I want to play a couple of songs, but. Give me the official release date for the record. On No Life Till Metal Records, what is it, September 1st? September 1st, Labor Day weekend. That's a great weekend to release a new record. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, because there's plenty of time to get used to it and buy it for Christmas. <laughs> you're right about that. And you're playing on the 14th at the, at the, at the, at the festival, right? The Gates of Raleigh Festival? the 14th we're on, yes. Yeah, we're on. But, yeah, but go both. Anybody who's listening, go both days, because there's great bands on both days. Get the two-day pass and just have the time of your life, because it's October in Los Angeles. It's going to be about 85 degrees. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And when you go back home to where there's snow that you got to shovel, you're going to remember the great time you had. <laughs> I know. You're, you're right about that. That's why I'm glad for global warming. We haven't had snow in New York in two years. I've been thrilled. Is that right? Yeah, it didn't snow this winter. The last winter, we had like a flake, and that was it. We had no snow for almost the last you... two years. Wow. Cold wow. is all it's hell, but... After all. Yeah, it's cold, but, you know, I mean, you know, it is it is what it is. You know, I don't care now because I retire, so I don't have to get up and drag my ass into the city no more, driving through two feet of snow, so I don't care if it snows or what the hell happens anymore. Yeah, but now you retire, and that's when it stops snowing. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. But I made good money when it snowed at <laughs> my job, so, you know, snow was a good thing over the years. Oh, sure, sure. No, Mike, thanks for having us, man. And as always, dude, it's just, you know, we love you like a brother. You are a brother. And we're still never going to forget the day you brought Danishes and whatever to us at the at the, uh, the Oh, yeah. <laughs> I and forgot about still that, legendary. yeah. I've still got chunks of stuff in my bar- in my arteries that haven't gone through. <laughs> I have to send you some in the mail. I don't know if it would hold up in the mail, but uh, I'll try to get you some in the mail. That way you can enjoy it. Get a little taste of New York out in California. Absolutely, absolutely. But great to hear from you, man. Great to, great to spend some time with you. And yeah, you know, six months, a year, whenever, we'll get back to it again and we'll talk about uh, all the great things. Maybe we'll talk about on our way to New York, you know? You never know. I hope so, buddy. But I love you guys. Eric, Steve, have a great night, my friend. This new record, I I hate to say it's your best one yet because they're all great, but I got to say it's your best one yet. Well, as long as we're going up, that's the important thing. That's all that matters. I wish my penis was doing that, but hey, I'm stuck with what it is, so that's life. (laughs) But you guys have a great day. It's early over there. You have a great afternoon. (laughs) You are in fine form, man. Have a good day, brother. All right, guys. Take care. Steve, Eric, goodbye. All All right. right. Let's get us on off the brand new record. How about we do, let's start off with the virtual signals. Listen to Jay Yahoo to blame 
Man, that just kicks ass. Colors of the Dark, brand new Anger Result right before that. Virtual Signals, these two songs come off that brand new record, Virtual Sympathy. It comes out September 1st on All Life to Metal Records. Pick yourself up a copy. If you like these two, you're going to love the rest. All right, we kind of ran late tonight, so we'll do one of the, We didn't do our Demolition segment song. We didn't play our demo song, so we'll do that next. Wrap it up with a little maybe E-trope, and then we're going to call it a night here. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week. John Raven of Gallagher is back on. We had John about this time last year when they were talking about their greatest hits record that came out. But it wasn't like a real greatest hits record. It was of uh, all the songs that did with Silver Lining Music. But they got a brand new record out right now called All Hell's Breaking Loose. We'll talk to John all about that album. I know we have another band on next week. I think it's Severed Angel. I don't think we confirmed who's calling in from the band yet, but uh, we'll have both of them on next week live, so don't forget to tune in next Sunday. That's our last show for a week. We're taking off the Labor Day weekend. No show Labor Day weekend. When we come back the week after that, it's our 15-year anniversary show. God almighty, 15 years of doing this. I can't believe it. But it's been a great 15-year run, in my opinion. I love every minute of it. All right, so how about we do our demolition segment? There's a band called Siren. They're out of Michigan. I uh, absolutely love these guys. They had about four demo tapes out before they kind of broke up, got back together many, 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 many years later and released a record with a different singer. Brian Thomas, who sings with Halloween, joined the band at that time, and he was on the record. Uh, the first demo, I think it was the first four demos, has Steve Piro's of Peronis. He was a singer for the band who passed away. Uh, so let's get a song off that 1993 demo tape. Let's do... Let me see what I got here. We'll do The Story Goes. Here you go, Siren. Yeah. 
right, there you go, our demolition segment with our demo cut of the week, Siren. What a great band they were. Let's wrap it up here tonight with some E-Trope out of Chicago. The late, great Barry Stern on drums. Barry also went on to play with Trouble for quite a while before he passed away. Here's Break Your Back. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you next Sunday with John Gallagher from Raven. Have a great one. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.